Um, good morning. Welcome to North Bible Church. My name is Troy Hawks. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and just glad to have you here worshiping with us this morning. Uh, glad to have our kids in here as well, and as is our tradition when the kids are in the service, uh, we pray a blessing over them before they depart for their classes. So kids, if you would go ahead and stand up. Uh, parents, neighbors, um, reach out a hand, um, either place it on those kids or just stretch one out um, in their direction if you don't have permission uh, to lay hands on that particular child. Um, and, and pray this blessing uh, with us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Lord, we do pray that blessing uh, over our children. Um, Lord, may they know your presence. May they know your great and deep love uh, for them. Uh, may they uh, see you in all your glory despite their own uh, human parents, human fathers, human mothers, uh, imperfections. Uh, may that not cloud their vision uh, of who you are and of your great an eternal love for them. And may they have seeds of truth planted in their lives today, uh, seeds that grow up to bear much fruit uh, in their lives and their families and in your kingdom. Uh, be with us this morning as we open your word and see what it has to say about your nature, your character, uh, the character of your, your word, the Bible. Uh, and may you sow truth in our hearts as well. Uh, we ask it all in the precious name of Christ. Amen. All right, children, be free. <clears throat> I, I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people that when I find out about something new, I just have to let everyone know about it. Um, and and I, this past week, I discovered something new that I had no idea about, and rather than keep that a secret to myself, I figure the more the merrier, the more people that know, the better. Uh, so here it is. Uh, somebody told me this week um, that in November, there's going to be a presidential election in our country. And I don't know how they've kept this a secret for so long, but it seems like no one is talking about it, right? I, I, but I, you know, somebody kind of leaked it out to me. I don't know if it was somebody in the White House or the press um, or what it was, but it trickled down to me through social media and I just thought I would let all of you know um, as well. Now, obviously, that's a huge joke um, because uh, none of us can seem to escape the vitriol currently surrounding the upcoming presidential election. Uh, you, you'd kind of have to go hide in a cave somewhere in order to uh, shield yourself from all of the banter back and forth, all of the news, all of the, all of the outrage, all of the excitement, so to speak. Um, but it, it really, as I look at that, uh, first of all, I think, what a shame. What a shame that this is the nature of our, our politics right now. Um, but on the other hand, isn't it really symptomatic of a wider shift in our culture in general um, about the strength of opinions and, and who's allowed to hold them and, and who isn't? And what is welcome 
in the marketplace of ideas and what is not? What voices should be exalted and amplified and, and which ones should be uh, tucked away in a closet only for private consumption, um, dare not express certain beliefs in the public square, um, lest you be the recipient uh, of the kinds of things that some of those running for office are currently on the receiving end. Uh, there's all kinds of new things happening in the worlds of, of free speech and protected speech. Uh, we've, we've somehow created some new thing called a free or a safe speech zone. I'm not sure what that is exactly, um, but, but it's something new. <clears throat> and then we have all these hot, bu hot button issues, um, like gender identity um, and uh, homosexual marriage, just to name a few. But you're probably seeing these shifts um, in your lives as well, whether it's in uh, the business world or in schools or the places that you mingle in coffee shops and restaurants, you hear uh, the conversations that are happening, and the shift is definitely there. As a result, I think now more than any other time in recent history, it's a really good idea to know not only what you believe, but why you believe it. And in, in line with that thinking, we're going to be asking a big question today. Uh, a big question that would be really important for you and I to settle here and now, rather than trying to make decisions on the fly. And, and that big question that we want to settle is this. Did God really say... Did God really say? Now, I had a little bit of hesitation in using this question for today. Not because it's not a good question. And certainly not because it's a question that we shouldn't be asking. Um, I asked this question because of... Uh, the reason that I had some hesitation, rather, is because of who this question is originally attributed to in human history. And that would be the serpent in the garden. It would be the devil himself uh, was the original one to propose this question. Did God really say? But it's an important one for us to settle uh, in our own minds, in our own hearts. Did God really say the things that are written in the Bible? Uh, did God really speak the universe into existence? Is creation a real thing? The ark and the flood and, and some guy named Noah, did that really happen? Is Jesus really the only way to the Father? Is he really the God of the universe's only means of salvation and reconciliation with himself? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? I mean, a dead guy coming back to life? Did God really say? Why do you think he did? What makes you think he did?
because opinions are shifting on that as well. Uh, a recent study that I found uh, online has been tracking since 1976 up until 2015 Americans' attitudes towards the Bible. And um, the top line, the, the lighter green, is those who agree with the statement that the Bible is the inspired word of God, uh, but not everything in it should be taken literally. Uh, the line in the middle, the dark green, is probably the most firm position, they would say. The Bible is the actual word of God and is to be taken literally word for word. <clears throat> and then finally, the bottom line, kind of more of the yellowish color, the Bible is an ancient book of fables, legends, history, and moral precepts recorded by man. Uh, now this, uh, this is not necessarily, this is, this is a question that was posed to all Americans, not just Christians. Um, but the most important things to track on this are the bottom line, where it, uh, the number of people who believe that it's just a book of fables and stories written down by man has gone from 13% to 21%, which is about a 45% increase, um, just off the top of my head. And um, the middle line, um, those who believe that the Bible is the actual Word of God, has gone from 38% down to 20%, which is about a um, 40% decrease as well. And so um, we, could, we could ask questions about, are these really the best questions to ask? Um, and are they phrased the way we would actually like to phrase them? Um, but they do it because so, they've been asking the same questions since 76, and that's the only way to um, really track that. Um, but, but the main thing is opinions are shifting, and more and more Americans um, are diminishing their view of the Bible, not making it stronger. Um, so we ask, did God really say? And that's actually um, just the beginning of a new series that we are kicking off this week called The Word. Um, uh, no, I think we, that's not it. Who is that guy? Um, yeah. There. That's better, yes. A new series we're kicking off called uh, The Word. And, and this week, we're going to be asking the question, um, how do we know that the Word of God, how do we know that the Word of God actually contains the words of God? Uh, that the words that are in this book are actually God's words and not just human words, humanly inspired words. That's, that's week one. Uh, and then the next week, we'll be asking the question, is the Bible reliable? Is it accurate? Right? Does the things that it reports, are those actual historical events that we can verify? Is it worthy of our trust? And then the finally, uh, on the third week, we'll be ask, answering the question, why does it matter? Why does our view of the Word why does it matter whether we believe that these are God's words, whether we know that they're trustworthy and accurate and reliable? Why does that matter in a life? Why does it matter in a church, a city, uh, and a nation? Uh, so that's our trajectory for the next three weeks. Um, our focus here today is, again, that one big question, did God really say and the approach that we're going to take to this Bible, um, because we believe that there is no authority greater than God and His Word uh, for our lives. So, so really, if you think about it, there's no other authority for us to appeal to in terms of the authority of the Bible. 
Uh, so we're going to start with the Bible itself, and, and we're going to start with this. What did the writers of this Bible, the people who heard from God and wrote these words, the people who lived by these words for their lifetimes and passed them down for generations and generations to come, what do their words claim about the nature of this Bible and the words contained in it? More than 30 writers contributed to this book over a number of centuries. And they all believe one thing about these words. And today we're going to discover what that is. And the first thing that we discover as we look at this Bible, what the writers of this Bible and the Bible itself claim to be true is one very important thing. And that is that God speaks. We can't even get three verses into the Bible before we come across the phrase, and God said. The Bible assumes everywhere one fact, that God speaks. Genesis 1-3, and God said, let there be light. And God said, a phrase that will be repeated more than 22 times in the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. And God said. God speaks things into existence. He makes decrees, announcements, and things that were nothing become something. God speaks to men and to women. And later on, we see in the Old Testament that God speaks through men to his people. God speaks. And this is what has come to be known as his self revelation, the way that God has revealed himself to us so that we can be in relationship with him, so that we can know him, so that we can have fellowship with him. It is necessary that God speaks. To us. Without his revelation, without his self-revelation, we would be unable to know him. Now we do understand that in Romans chapter 1, the things that can be known about God, some things that can be known about God are apparent to everyone in his creation. David writes in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Day to day, they pour out speech about him. But the many, many religions that are out there in the world today are more than enough evidence that man's corrupted nature takes what can be seen and known about God and corrupts it into a false knowledge, coming to false conclusions about his nature and who he is. And therefore, it is necessary that God speaks, that God reveals, that God shows himself to us, that we might have real relationship with him. God speaks. God writes. 
Did you know that some of the words of the Old Testament were actually written by the finger of God himself? In Exodus chapter 31, verse 18, it says that the Lord gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. God speaks. God writes. And God speaks through men and instructs those men to write. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 24, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. Exodus 24, 4, And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Deuteronomy 31, 24, And when Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end, the Old Testament, God's words spoken to man, man instructed to write them down and record them. Uh, but Moses isn't the only one. We see also in the book of Jeremiah, the Lord instructing. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. And similarly, in Isaiah 30, verse 8, And now go, write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. In the New Testament, we also see uh, the Apostle John in the book of Revelation being instructed to write letters uh, to the churches that Jesus has a message for. So God speaks in various ways and by various means. He speaks things into being. He speaks to men and women. He speaks through prophets. The Bible assumes at its very foundation that God is a God who speaks. It evidences His speech and it records for us and for coming generations the Word of God. I just want to stop there for a moment. God speaks. Not just God has spoken, but God speaks. It's, it's His very nature to speak. The second person of the Godhead, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, is also called the Word. And what is a word but a means of communication? A, a, a tool for delivering a message. Jesus is the Word. He is the revelation of God. It is in His very nature to reveal the Father. It is in His very nature to speak. And so God is a God who speaks today. Speaking to His people. Most often through His Word. But He is a God who speaks. 
So God is a God who speaks. The, the second part of our message, what is the nature of these words of God that are recorded in Scripture? How should we view them? What should we believe about them? The psalmist writes in Psalm 12, verse 6, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Seven being a a number that symbolized perfection in the Old Testament. Perfectly pure are the words of God. And then in uh, Psalm 18, verse 30, David writes, This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. Uh, He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. And finally, Psalm 119, 89. Forever, O Lord, Your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Firmly fixed in the heavens. Jesus, the Word, is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so is the Word of God unchanging in its truth, unchanging in its nature. John 17, 17, Jesus says, praying to the Father during the high priestly prayer, He says, Father, sanctify them. Make them holy in the truth. Your word is truth. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, has a chapter on the word of God, and he writes this about truth. Kind of an important topic in our day and world, wouldn't you say, in a, in a time when some claim that there is no truth. And and maybe as we get to the end of this quote, you'll understand why people have come to believe that there isn't truth, um, because they're looking at imperfect people as the source of that truth. But J.I. Packer makes clear why we can believe that God's Word is truth. Uh, He says, truth in the Bible is a quality of, of persons primarily, and of propositions only secondarily. It means stability, reliability, firmness, trustworthiness. The quality of a person who is entirely self-consistent, sincere, realistic, undeceived. God is such a person. Truth, in this sense, is His nature. He has not got it in Him to be anything else. And that is why His words are the index of reality. They show us things as they really are and as they will be for us in the future according to whether we heed God's words or not. God speaks. His words are truth according to the authors of Scripture the men and women who God spoke to and through. 
They are truth, and we find them true as well, don't we? Probably one of the strongest indicators of the trustworthiness and truthfulness of God's Word is what it does in us as we read it. Because we find truth there as well. When the Bible speaks of the fallen and corrupt world that we live in, (laughs) we know that world. We understand sin when the Bible talks about sin. It speaks truthfully about that. We see that the word of the Lord is right. He's right in the things that he says, in the commands that he gives. We know that we should love our neighbor. We know that we should forgive the people, even the ones who are hardest to forgive. We know that there are certain things that are honorable and true. And then there are other things that just aren't. He's right. And then we recognize this battle that Scripture talks about over and over again. Uh, The battle between our flesh and our spirit. (laughs) That there are things that we long to do, things that we wish to do, things that we will to do. We, We don't do them. We find ourselves doing the very things that we wish we would not do. It's true. It's right. It's real. And yet sometimes we are tempted to wonder But is all of it true? Like all of it? Like really historical fact? Like Adam and Eve in the garden, original man and woman, a serpent and a tree and an apple, a guy that builds a huge boat, two animals, you know, two by two, except for the other ones that were clean, and then they came and bigger groups and there's big flood and everybody died except for those people. All of it? In the New Testament, there's a, there's a special category of writings. We use the word all the time called scripture. Uh, in the New Testament, they use a word called graphe. The interesting thing is that every time, it's it's a word that could just literally mean writings. But it means more than that in the New Testament because it's used over 50 times, but every time the writers in the New Testament use this word graphe for writings, uh, we call it scripture, um, because every time they use that word, it refers to the Old Testament. 
right? The special group of books that had been handed down for centuries, known as God's Word, that the rabbis believed every dot and every tittle, every letter was the Word of God. Um, Graphe, they called it. Uh, every time that word is used in the New Testament, it means, it refers to the Old Testament. And in two of those times, it also refers to, uh, one time to Paul's writings, are also graphe, they're also scripture. And then a, a statement that Jesus makes in one of the Gospels is also considered scripture. And so now we see the New Testament being lumped in with the Old Testament in this broader category called scripture. And then we find this verse, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, says this, all Scripture is breathed out by God. All graphe, all of these sacred inspired writings, all of them breathed out by God. His Spirit speaking to men and through men, all of it has been breathed out by God. Now, did Jesus believe this? Did the New Testament writers, the apostles, believe this as well? Well, we could cite countless times that they cited Old Testament prophecies and scriptures and quoted them and used them in their conversations and in their teachings. But I think it's even more important for us it's important to understand all of those things, but to answer a previous question, it's important for us to recognize that Jesus himself mentions Jonah being in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights, and so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth as well. Paul mentions Facts from the book of Genesis, such as the fact that Adam was created first and then Eve. That, that see, Eve was tempted by the serpent in the garden. Uh, Peter affirms Noah, the ark, the flood. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah when God rained down brimstone upon that city for its sinful ways. And then my personal favorite actually um, is when Peter reminds us that God used Balaam's donkey to speak. I can't help but hear Eddie Murphy's voice in Shrek every time I consider Balaam's donkey restraining, as Peter says, restraining the prophet's madness. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, Paul lays this whole concept out very well for us. And um, it's actually 11 verses. You can look at it later on your own if you would like. But for time's sake, I'm just going to kind of give you the breakdown of these 11 verses. But Paul is talking about, <clears throat> Paul is talking about when the Hebrews left Egypt, that they... They left Egypt, they crossed through the Red Sea on dry ground, that they were in the wilderness, that they ate manna, that they um, drank the water that came from the rock. Uh, and the summary of that is this, he says, For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers, 
They all passed through the sea. Yes, God parted the waters of the Red Sea, and they passed through. They all ate the same spiritual food, the manna that came down from heaven, confirmed by Paul. They drank the same spiritual drink from that rock, which was Christ. Uh, And then he goes on, uh, and he says, Now these things took place as examples for us. These things happened to them as an example. Uh, And they were written down, he goes on to say, uh, for our instruction. I think we have that up there as well. Yes, but they were written down for our instruction. What is Paul confirming about the Old Testament? That these things took place. They happened. And they were written down. Graphe, Scripture. He's the one that in 2 Timothy says, writes, for all Scripture, all Graphe, is God-breathed. Did God really say? Yes. God really said everything that Scripture intends to say. I like this Um, the message translation. I don't use the message often, um, but the message translation is great in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. He says, every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the Word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks that God has for us. Did God really say? Yes, He did. That we might know Him. That we might worship Him. That we might have fellowship with Him. That we might spend eternity with Him. It's an important question for us to settle. Not just because of the wider culture shifts that are going on, but yes, now more than ever, it's a good thing to know why you believe what you believe, but there's a bigger reason. And it's not just about the culture out there. but it's about our sinful nature in here. As I said at the beginning, this question is originally attributed to the devil himself. Did God really say? It's one of his favorite techniques, best strategies to come to us in a time of weakness and minimize our view of the Word of God, minimize its significance, its origins, its nature. The question will come to you. Uh, The question will come to me, probably has many times already. Did God really say? But just as He came 
to Eve in the garden and tempted her with what? The idea of exalting her wisdom and knowledge to the same level as the wisdom and knowledge of God. Just as he came to Jesus in the wilderness when he was at his weakest, fasting, he comes to us as well with the same offer of the temptation to have our needs met outside of what God has set forth. If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. You're hungry, right? Here. There's a real need. Time's up. <laughs> Father, thank you. No. <clears throat> There's a real need. I can only imagine how hungry you are after 40 days of fasting in a desert wilderness. And he'll come to us as well at a pressing time. When just a little bit less integrity would mean a little bigger paycheck or a promotion or a pat on the back. He'll come to us too when forgiving someone just seems way too hard, when the thing just seems way too big to forgive. He'll come to us when the gossip is just too juicy not to share. Or when it feels like your marriage is just been dry so long and nothing's going to change. Or when you think you're really in love and this is the one. Those principles that you have thought you would stand on as truth will be called into question. The tempter will come to you and say, did God really say? Is this really that important? What's the difference? Just one time. What's the difference? Oftentimes it's the difference between light and darkness. The difference between truth and a lie. The difference between a path of destruction or leaving a God-honoring legacy. Did God really say? Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. May we stand on the principle that if God breathed it, we believe it. 
May we never be tempted to put our wisdom, our thinking on the same plane as the same height as the creator of this universe, the one who breathes life into us. May we never seek to usurp your authority. But Father, instead, may we come humbly before your words. We invite you to speak. We know that you continue to speak, continue to reveal. Lord, we thank you for the final revelation of you that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. Pray that you would use your Holy Spirit to draw us into deeper fellowship with you, deeper relationship, deeper knowledge, deeper trust. We ask it all in Christ's precious name. Amen.